Welcome to the Business Processes Simplified Podcast. It's David Jennings here, your host. In a moment, you'll get the full bio of our guest, Glenn Matson. This episode was taken from the Business Systems Summit, so you'll hear that intro in a moment, and that's when it goes into Glenn's bio in full. That said, though, as you know, I love to record a short audio to put right up front of these episodes to give you a sneak peek at what's coming in this episode, so you can make sure that is this episode going to be worth your time and effort listening to? And let me tell you, yes, it is. Glenn, he is a bit of a sales master. He's very high up at Sandler Sales, which if you haven't heard of them, they're a sales organization and they are heavily systems and process driven. Glenn loves systems and processes, and I love the way that they have systemized their selling process. Glenn will take you through those six steps in this session. He'll talk about the bonding phase and getting upfront contracts and emotional drivers and getting the budget and making sure that you understand the decision-making process and the way that you do the presentation and the fulfillment. It's a really great system. I know you're going to love it. Obviously, being a sales system, it fits into the sales department. Remember, your business is a collection of different systems and they fall under the different departments. And once you get those systems right and you get the handful of systems that deliver the biggest results in your business, that's when you're going to watch your business really explode and come to life. If you want to learn more about how I see business, I've got my book launch coming out, which is Systemology. It's the proven solution to business systems, profits, and opportunities. What that book does is gives you a framework on how you can take all of these episodes and systems that you're collecting and how to string them all together to one entire operating system that you can deploy inside your business and really get exponential growth and huge change in the way that you're doing things. Now, that book is the culmination of all of my best work. So make sure if you haven't yet got a copy, depending on when you're listening to this, the book is getting launched in August 2020. You can head over to systemology.com forward slash book. That's systemology.com forward slash book. Grab yourself a copy. I know you're going to love it. And without further ado, let's jump into this episode. Welcome to the System Hub Podcast. Hola. Konnichiwa. Guten Tag. Where we interview world-class experts. You have to have a lot of passion for what you're doing. I was fanatical in my 20s. If you could find a way to produce a business that works without you, your life would change like that. Extracting, organizing, and optimizing their best systems and processes for rapid business growth. Now, let's get into the show. Welcome back to the Business Systems Summit. I'm your host, David Jennings, and in this session, we're going to be chatting with Glenn Matson. Now, he's the president of Matson Enterprise, which is an authorized Sandler training center, and uh, Glenn's connections with Sandler Sales is quite deep, and if you're not familiar with them, they've got over 250 offices around the world, which makes them the largest training organization of their type, and they teach enterprise selling, leadership, customer service, and I actually got connected to Glenn through a gentleman called Bill Doa, who's um, also on the summit. And he said, look, if you're going to be running a summit on business systems, you've got to talk to Glenn because he's the most systemized guy that I know. And after the couple of chats that, that I've already had with Glenn, I can confirm. Um, he, he specializes in financial services, producers and agency managers, but really the, the strategies and lessons that he teaches uh, just applies across all business. He's all about shortening sales cycles, growing revenues, improving operational efficiencies, and many of his clients attribute a lot of their success to the principles, practices, and systems that he ends up teaching them. So we had a, we've already had, as I mentioned, a brief chat, and I think the biggest challenge with Glenn was trying to figure out which system we were going to get him to share because there were just so many different options and directions for us to head. He's got a wealth of business knowledge, and I know you're going to love this session. So it's with great pleasure that I get to introduce Glenn to the session. Well, thank you very much, David. It's my absolute honor to be part of the Business System Summit, and hopefully the, the process that we've picked is going to be good for everybody. <laughs> I, I know it will be because it's, it's right yeah. in your sweet spot. We're going to get you to share, share your, your system for selling, which you, sure. you know intimately well, and there's a lot for us to cover. I think one of the first places I'd like to start, though, is just talking about some of the challenges that you see business owners have and, and businesses when it comes up to selling and how this system aims to solve that, then, yeah, let's go through it step by step. 
You got it. So when you look at sales, now you said in the beginning, I have, a, I have a natural gravitational pull to one type of market, but we have clients everywhere. And when we look at clients, regardless if you are a Fortune 100 company, straight down to an individual that worked for a company, you said, you know what, what I'd like to do is go out on my own and open up my own shop. I'm going to put a shingle outside. I'm really good with my knowledge. I have very good experience. But we still got to have people pay it. And you still have to have the ability to do it for somebody and have that, that revenue share. So when we look at selling, and sales is a very interesting process because the traditional sales, Dave, have taught people how to sell, not the way people buy. So if you look at a traditional sales process, some of us turn around and think that you know what we have to do is tell everyone as much as we honestly know, throw everything at them, do a quote-unquote value proposition, which is you're sitting there in your world saying, let me tell you what your problem is and how I can help you in a value proposition. And that doesn't that even make sense. So you're assuming a lot. So when we look at prospects, prospects have a tendency to buy a very specific way. And it's important to get this system and understand how they actually buy. It's a four-step process. When you look at a buyer, the first step they do is they have, historically, they will mislead or even lie to salespeople because they want to maintain that control, right? If you go into a store, Dave, you and I are together, and we walk in to go to, a, it doesn't make a difference, we go buy ourselves a laptop, we walk to the store, someone approaches us and says, hi, can I help you? And we know why we're there, we know what we want to do, we only have a couple minutes to do it, yet we still say out loud, no, I'm just looking. Right? So the problem is when you sound and look like a salesperson, you have a tendency to be treated like one. So the first step of the buying system is they have a tendency to mislead us, so to maintain control because they don't want to buy anything they don't need. The second step of the buying system is called information gathering. So they'll sit in their chair, do this, say, hey, this is fantastic, more than happy to see you, come on in, so what can you do for me? And all of a sudden, they're there to gather data. Now, they don't really necessarily want the data, the, the salespeople have taught buyers that when I show up, I'm going to tell you everything about who I am, what I do, and how I do it. So buyers start to get accustomed to, all right, tell me why you're here and tell me what you can do for me. So the second step of the buying system is it's called information gathering. And it, it is everything that you, most of you do right now, from hello to the yes or no, is all in that second step of the, of the, the prospect system. So maybe you go see someone, you have a conversation, you figure out what some of their issues are, maybe you gather some data, you go back to your office, you create some proposal of some sorts, you give it to them, you talk about what you want to do, how you want to do it, how much it's going to be, what your structure is going to be, and now we enter into the third step of the buyer's system, which is the, called the mini lie. And that's three things, right? It's a yes, which is fabulous. You give a proposal, they say yes, it's great. No, believe it or not, many people don't like no. No is phenomenal. Because no, you know where you are. And sometimes you need to know to start the sales process. The worst thing that you can get, which is what everyone sometimes wants if you don't get a yes, is a think it over, right? Mm -hmm. Hey, David, this has been fantastic. He's done a great job walking through what you can do for us. Why don't you give me the weekend to digest this thing and let's connect up next week. And you go like, fantastic, I got something. You got nothing, right? So statistically, 87% of people who say, I want to think about it, are actually saying no. But they just don't know how to tell you that. So we're going to talk about that in a second, how to fix that. But now you're into this third phase of the buyer system, which is they're kind of hiding a little bit. You get the yes, the no, the think it over. And with your think it over is everything that goes with it, which is things like, Hey, call me back. Not sure if we have the budget. Got to bring it upstairs. Um, take a look at the terms of next quarter. Taking a look at the probability moving forward. So we get all the stuff that we get after we get to think it over. And quite honestly, what you get in your think it over is an indicator of what you didn't uncover in your sales process. So the third step is they give us the yes, no, and the think it over. Now, in, in the reality is, is many of us are taught to be a dog on a bone, right? Stay tenacious. Go after that. Think it over. Put them in your Rolodex. Call, 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 call. So that leads us into the prospect's fourth step, which is how to deal with you after you gave the proposal. And they have four strategies. The first, they hide and you get voicemail. Second is you constantly talk to the assistant. They're always out to meetings or they're always out to lunch. Or the worst step is they're out to Safari, which you can't get them anymore, right? You call them, they're not returning phone calls, you email, they don't return any emails. The problem with the traditional sales process is you have no control of the selling process. The prospect does. And a lot of, a lot of people who are selling go in, they do all their info dump, and then they hope it's actually going to turn into business. And that's not a good strategy, nor is it a good process. 
So what we teach people is a very simple rule. And anyone who's out there as an entrepreneur, I'm sure you have this as, as part of your DNA. If you don't, it should be. But there, here's the rule. There's always a plan in play. And whoever has the stronger plan will always win. And if you don't have a plan, by default, you become part of someone else's. So if you do not have a very strong selling process, trust me, the person you're selling to has a much stronger buying process. So whoever has the stronger plan will always win. So you have to ask yourself, are you working your plan when you're out selling or you're actually working their plan? And in the way that you know that's true, if you're doing all the talking, you're not working your plan because person asking the questions is always in control of the interview. So the first step is, Dave, is to really look at that buying system, the buying process. And again, it's a mini lie. You get yourself in, you give them everything. We call it info dumping, right? You show up and you throw up. They gather all that data. Then you try to close. They give you the think it over and then you pursue them. That's the first step in terms of the four-step process that the people listening in should be observing of, be aware of, so we can figure out how to help them fix it. But that's how people yeah. buy. I think what's interesting about this is, and I wasn't even thinking about it when I said, okay, well, let's go through your system for selling. And we started off by actually thinking about, well, what is the system for someone's buying? So we're kind of thinking on the other side of the equation here, and it makes perfect sense to, to understand the way that people are normally buying in the process they go through because then you construct your selling system. So I love it. As we start to construct that, if we, we get clear on the process that they're going through, mm -hmm. how do we then sort of take control or even how do we start this whole process? Right, right. So the key is, is how do we have control where the person we're talking with or meeting with, one, two, or three, they actually feel like they're in control, but we are controlling everything, right? So in Sandler, the selling system is three compartments in seven steps. And the very first step of the system is bonding and rapport. So the three compartments is, is relationship, qualifying, and then closing. Inside a relationship, Dave, there's two components, two compartments, bonding and rapport and something we call an upfront contract. And the upfront contract is vitally important to create in the beginning of every meeting that you have. And there's five steps to a good upfront contract. Good upfront contract, and it's basically like, and I know everyone from different parts of the world are going to be listening into this, but if you go to a baseball game in the Americas, you have two individuals that sit at home base, and they're their managers, both managers from both teams. And they're sitting there with the ump, and the ump is the referee. And what the three of them are talking about is the ground rules. We're at a different stadium, we're at a different area. If it goes over there, it's, it's, it's an in, right? It's a double. If it comes up over here, it's going to be this. But so everyone's on the same page about the rules. So what an upfront contract does is it makes sure that you and the buyer are on the same page. Same page about purpose, same page about agendas, same page about decision at the end. So that if you have a good upfront contract, it dissipates the anxiety that a buyer and seller have about where are we going with this? Can I say no to you? What's going to happen if I don't like it? So the up five pieces of an upfront contract, the first is appreciation. So you thank them for having you over. The second step is about time. You want to reconfirm the amount of time that you set up for that meeting in the beginning of the meeting. Don't ever assume. It's the biggest, deadliest sin in the world. Then the third piece is, is you're going to try to uncover, not try, you're going to uncover what their agenda is or their expectations of the meeting. And then you're going to share what your expectations are. That's number four. And then the last one is the decision or the outcome. So it could be something as easy as, hey, Dave, thanks for having me over to the office today. Greatly appreciated. Hey, I had in my calendar about 45 minutes. Is that still going to be okay with you? And you'd say yes. And say, listen, you know, on the way over here, more times than not, when I talk to a business owner like yourself, you've thought about some of the things you wanted to make sure that we covered in our meeting today to make sure that this is really a good meeting. You want to kind of catch me up to speed on what you want to make sure we cover today? And you share a hand thing full with me. I share some stuff with you. And then I say at the end of this, no, Dave, we're going to go through those four or five items that you had that, that I just reread back to you. In the course of the next 45 minutes, if you start to get a sense that I do not fit the picture that you're looking for, if I'm not the solution for you, I want you to let you know no is okay, right? Absolutely okay. Now, granted, when I start to have a better understanding of what you're trying to accomplish, if I don't think I can hit it out of the home, I'm going to tell you up front, I'm out. Right. So yeah. it's, it's easy for us. If we don't fit, no harm, no foul. And what we do, you and I will figure out naturally what the next step is. Is that okay? 
Yeah, I like right? that. So, so in the very beginning, we are setting down fence posts. What we're trying to do is create the foundation around our discussion. So I want to put in some fence posts to create a boundary. Yeah. Right? Now, if you have stronger personalities, like the one I had before this call, it was, hey, Scott, how are you? 45 minutes, right? He goes, yep. And I said, Scott, at the end of this 45 minutes, what do you want to make sure you and I cover? What decision do you want to make before we're done? Because he's a really dominant personality. So Scott goes, I want to figure out if we're going to work together or not. I said, good, me too. And if we don't, no harm, no foul. He goes, not at all. I said, you're going to be okay with being honest with me if it's not a good fit? He goes, absolutely. I said, you're not going to take a personal offense if I'm honest to back to you saying I don't want to work with you, will you? And he goes, no, not at all. Now, by the way, when the hell is the last time a salesperson said to a buyer, hey, by the way, I'm evaluating you just as much as you're evaluating me. Mm-hmm. So you got to give them permission to say no to you if there's not a good fit. And by telling them they can say no, we lower the defense mechanisms and then we have more of an honest conversation. Because at the end of the day, people buy emotionally. They, they justify their decisions intellectually. The, the majority of the people are listening in right now, unfortunately, are selling to the intellect. That's features and benefits. That's let me tell you what I can do. That's not what people buy. People buy to avoid or get out of pain. That's a child ego state, right? Unfortunately, they're talking to the wrong ones. So when we do the bonding and rapport, what we're trying to do is get that defense mechanisms to go down, to have freedom to say, if it doesn't fit, I'm out. And it's okay to do that. And what do you want to cover? Well, this is what I want to talk about. So all of a sudden, that level set field becomes, I'm not in here hawking something. I'm not in here trying to pitch something. I'm not in here doing my, you know, my dog and pony show. I'm actually having a dialogue with you about what you're trying to accomplish, what our world looks like, to see if the two fit. If they don't, great. If they do, fantastic. So that's the upfront contract piece. Yeah, I like that. I'd like to also just slightly set the frame just prior to that as well. So, I mean, this selling system I can already see is going to work when, whether it's via Zoom, in person, over the phone, like, like it's the mechanism of, of the way that you go through and sell. Now, the business is going to have this incoming lead. There may be some form of qualification or something like that to figure out whether or not it's the right fit. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else that happens just prior to having this conversation as far as like setting it or, or and that's probably a different discussion around the marketing side of things, but I did want to see, yeah, the, the point at which, you know, when this happens or if there's any sort of expectations that are set prior to that through email or, or, or anything. It could be. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. Right. So, if you have your enablement team or your push team or whatever they may call them that, that set up the appointments and then you have pre-sales, right, that go out the enablement team. So those individuals, they can send out some, some spec sheets. They can send out even the upfront contract. My team, for instance, if they set up an appointment, they will say, Mr. Matz is going to call you at. This is what's going to happen. Be prepared for this. We expect to see your agenda at. And when I open up my calendar to look at who I'm talking to, I have their agenda already in my calendar. So part of the team's responsibility is to get that information for me. Now, when I was on my own, I get all that information. Right? So that information is very, very valuable. So you can do what I just did after you set the appointment. So let's suppose you and I are talking to the telephone. And whatever started the conversation, all of a sudden we agree that it makes sense to me. I'll just say, hey, David, we'll talk again next Tuesday at 3 o'clock. Hey, between now and then, is there any reason from where you sit that that, that meeting is not going to be a good day for you, right? I want to verify it right now. I'm not going to call the person that day to, to verify. I'm doing it right now. So I'm not going to call you to, to, to double check. I'm doing it right now. And then I'm going to turn to you and say, Dave, now we'll have a conversation next Tuesday. I'm assuming if, if you're like most owners, you actually may want to know a little bit about us, who we are, what we do, and how we help individuals like yourself, blah, 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 blah. Is that fair? And you'd say, yep. I'd say, Great. To have a better understanding of your world to see if we can even help, uh, obviously I need to have a better handle on what you're trying to achieve, the roadblocks you've been facing, and the impact of those roadblocks to see if we can even help and if it's worth fixing. Is that going to be okay if we have that conversation? And you say, yep. And say, by the way, when we're together next week or when we have our phone call next week, if during the course of that call you find that I am not the right fit, no harm, no foul, the honesty is everything. If I don't think I can help you reach your objectives, I'm out. Or at the end of our phone call, we'll figure out what the next logical step is. Is that fair? You say, yup. 
Ring, 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 ring. Now it's Tuesday. Hey, Dave, how you doing? Good. Hey, 30 minutes or 40 minutes still good? Yep. Hey, remember we talked last time that you may want to know a little bit about who we are, what we do, and how we do it? Yeah. In addition to that, what else you want to make sure we cover today? Now we make a list. So there's always ways to make this better. But just remember three key words for the upfront contract. P-A-D. PADS. Purpose. Agenda. Decision. You don't have those three things. I'm not really sure why you're having a meeting because what happens is you have your agenda, Dave, and my agenda, and we have a meeting, and our agendas sometimes don't fit. And when you don't have that cohesiveness and that togetherness and thought and theory and what we're working on, you don't have a good sales call. So that upfront contract just level sets to make sure that we're both talking about the same thing for the same outcome and the decision on the outside is already pre-agreed upon. There's no real defense for it. Yeah, perfect. That makes sense. And then we end up having that conversation and then you're setting that all up front. And then how do you sort of transition? And what I quite liked, and I think people will go back and have a, a listen as well. You gave some of the, the languaging that you use as well. Be interested. Mm-hmm. I don't know if now's the right time to ask or as we progress, is this something we're talking about a sales process? Is this something that would then end up getting scripted out and, you know, you, someone gets comfortable and familiar with the language obviously it's going to adjust and you talked about that before like it'll depend on the person you know if if they're that very abrupt type person then your script for the aggressive dominant person was adjusted Mm -hmm. but but interested in your thoughts on that too well yeah because you have structure you have strategy of tactics then you have the ability to to people are going to say this wrong but manipulate the tactic to fit the personality of who you're talking to so a basic upfront contract like anything else if you do it right, it should work for everybody, but you can enhance it to make it better. So if I know that your personality style is more than expressive, you're you know, gregarious, outgoing, you know, your emotions are on your sleeve, you're lived by tracer bullets, you're great at vision, you're not very good at follow through, not good at details, then I have to shape my questions to be a little different than if you're a dominant personality, right? Dominance, bottom line, in your face, like big risks, like a confrontation, right? So I have to adapt what I'm doing to fit you. So when I speak, you hear it. There's a difference between listening and hearing. So having me have the ability, and again, that's a different level of selling, but you do need to have to know the tactics. You gotta own it. Once you own the tactics, then you can edit your tactics to fit the personalities. Yeah, perfect. So I suppose the next step then, how do you then start to transition after you've got that initial rapport built? Yeah, good. So. The rapport, and even though Sandler has it as a first step, the rapport, Dave, is something that's almost like the lubrication that runs through the system, right? So it never stops. Yeah. But the third step of the system is what we call emotional drivers. Now, emotional drivers, there's only two reasons that people will take action or to, to buy something. It's either pain or pleasure, pain or gain. And there's really only two states of time that people will buy to, to do, deal with some things, meaning that you have pain right now, where you have pain in the future, or you want instant pleasure, right? Gain right now, or gain in the future. So two emotions, two states of time. So there's basically a quadrant of four boxes. And pain right now, people will spend more money and better money to fix quicker. Pain in the future is second easiest to sell. Then the third is pleasure right now, and the hardest to sell is pleasure in the future. Now, when we talk about this thing called pain, see, people buy emotionally, and we justify this intellectually, And if you look at the psychology of it, we have three little people inside of our head. We have a parent, we have an adult, and we have a child. The child is the one that has all the emotions to it. The child is the one that says, Dave, I want this. I want it. And the second your child says, I want this, now your adult says, whoa, 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 whoa. Is it prudent? Did you you check around? Is this sure this is the right person? Do you trust them? Do they have a good track record? That's your adult. And then your parent turns around and goes, what? Are you sure about this? You really need this? How come you can't do it? Or did you do your due diligence? Why don't you take the weekend? You know, you're always pulling the trigger faster than you should. So your adult and your parent are not part of the buying process. They're part of the decision making. The buying process over here is your child. So most people that sell, almost everybody that sells, they sell to the intellect. So Here's what we do. This is how it impacts you. And this is why you should do it. And people don't buy from that, right? So what we want to do is have the ability to find out what their emotional drivers are, get them to, we have this thing called the formula for pain selling. The words are not the best words, but it was created, you know, 50 years ago is you take someone who thinks they're well, 
you get them to hurt. And if they've been hurt long enough, they become sick. And if they're sick enough, they become critical. And when they're critical, now they're emotionally involved. The questions change. What they want to do changes. How they want to look at things change. They're, they're no longer asking computer-based questions. It's literally, David, I need this to save my You have to get this done. If we don't do this, I don't know what's going to happen. So, like, for instance, to, to give you another realm, I was just on the phone with someone who has a very large business. He's trying to get, figure out if his son's going to take it over. And as we're having this conversation and, and going through it, one of the things I asked him, I said, well, let me ask you a strange question. From where you sit, how long have you been thinking about your son? Because, well, about four or five years. I said, okay, what have you done so far to get him ready? Nothing. So, okay. So if he keeps on that path, what's going to happen? And what I'm doing is I'm asking him questions to, to move away from the intellectual psyche to get down to the bottom. And when I finally got there, his name is Brad, and I just said, Brad, so what's the real issue about succession planning? Tell me what's really going on. How is this going to impact you? And he finally said, I'm terrified that if my son doesn't know what he's doing, I'm not going to have a retirement because he can't pay me for the business. I said, oh, so don't sell it to your son. And then he turns around and goes, my wife will disown me. So here's a guy or an individual who has a family business. He knows his son is not ready for it. He's terrified of the fact that if he's going to sell it to his son, it's going to go backwards. And if it goes backwards, he's impacted. So for me to go in and start talking about all this grandiose stuff that we do, 285 offices, number one in the world, right? 18 languages, who cares? All he wants to know is if I sell the business to my son, am I going to be a bag man, right? Am I going to have no money? Because I built this thing up and I don't want to go right to the ground. So once he finally got that emotion out, he had an easy dialogue. Now, that leads us to the, the next step of the system, step number four, which is now that we have pain, they have pain, they, commit, they understand what it is. So we have to discover what their problems are, have the problems, and because of those problems, how would it impact their objectives? Once we get to impact, then the real question is, are you committed to fixing it with me or without me? Take me out of it. Do you want to fix this stuff? And if they say yes, I have now successfully had a conversation with a child. Now I actually have to talk to the adults now. Mm. So I, that the adult conversation is the next step of the system, which is budget. Just to make sure that I'm following that bouncing yeah. ball. So we set the agenda right up front. Then we kind of, I just want to make sure I've got that second step clear. Um, that sure. second step, because you, you've set the agenda as far as they've obviously come to you to have a a problem solved or at least to see whether or not you can solve it. Mm -hmm. Then that last step that you were talking about, step three, was a lot to do with, okay, well, let's get to the, the emotion in it. I just want to make sure I got step number two. Yeah, so step number one is bonding rapport. Yeah. Step two is the upfront contracts. The upfront Those contracts. together create relationships and then we get into pain. Yeah, perfect. And then that languaging to transition, particularly to, to step number three, like do you, you know, is this a, a case of, Hey, so I can figure out whether or not we're the right fit. You know, I've got some questions that we need to go through just to make sure that we're on the same yeah. stage. Exactly. That's part of the upfront contract. So after you give me the agenda, I turn around and say, Steve, so the next 45 minutes, it sounds like you want to talk about A, B, and C. Is that fair? And there's a lot more to it that I'm saying right now, but then you yeah. would turn around and say, yes. I say, great. So which one do you want to start with first? And you would say, B. I'd say, great. Can you tell me more about B? And you start. Yes. You say, well, let me tell you about what's going on in my business. I started this business 30 years ago. And then I'm going to start to ask my series of questions, which Sandler has. We call it the funnel. And you yeah. go from intellectual, as you ask the questions, if they keep answering and we go down to emotion. Yeah. And the last question we ask is, so how does that make you feel? Now, if you're in corporate America, it's almost in your mind, if you can envision a triangle, they have business concerns. How does that impact their department? And how does that affect them personally? And that's the triangle we have to get to. When we get to personal, now you have a white knight that wants you to win because if you win, you solve their problem. And mm -hmm. if you're talking about just the intellect, you're always up here, which is dealing with the business problems. And that's not necessarily a great place to be because at that level, you're more of a vendor. When you're solving people's problems, you're not a vendor, right? This outside person, you're actually more of a partner. Yes. And they actually want you to win. Yeah. And it's almost like now that you've got a real agreeance at the deep level what the problem is it's clear that it's painful for them they want to just have it solved 
you've able to uncover and articulate what that problem is. So there's like, oh, okay, so they might have a solution here. So that's, I suppose, when you were saying, then you start to transition to almost start then selling to the adult. Yes, because now, now what we have to do is, is make sure they have budget and decision-making. Yeah. You know, so for instance, to give you another scenario, I was out in, in a different part of the country and having a conversation with four people in the room and the person who is the most senior was the newest person in the group. We're having a dialogue back and forth, about an hour and a half meeting. I'm there with one of my people. We're doing okay, but not getting any traction the way I would like to. And we're probably, what I would still say, level two pain. Yeah. You know, so they're still in the, the sick area. It's not, not great yet. As we were leaving, the new individual that was new at the company is walking us to the elevator. And I just said to him, so how is it being the new guy in the block? And he said, it's a chopping block. So my door opened for the elevator. My junior went in and I'll say, I'll see you in a second. So he went down and I turned to him. I said, you can't make me leave with that. What do you mean by that? And he goes, these guys have been here forever. If we don't hit these numbers, they're still going to be here. The only person that's going to get chopped is me. And I turned around and said, oh, so what does that mean? And he goes, the people in that room I think are my problem. That's why I'm the fourth one in this chair. So I turned around and said, okay, so does that mean you're going to start looking for a job or do you want to fix it? And that's when he turned around and goes, I have to fix it. I said, how come? And he told me why. And now I'm talking to the little kid. Now I have someone who wants to change, right? In that room, bravado, big stuff. His, his people were saying big stuff. Everyone was acting like, you know, big man on campus. When we finally got just the two of us alone, it became real serious real quick. So this sounds like a stupid analogy, but for some of you listening in, right, if I came to you and say, hey, Matt, see this? This is called a highlighter. This is a big highlighter. It's by Brightliner. It's AP certified. It actually has a little thing here so you can put it inside your shirt. You can hear it. It clicks. It's fantastic. You may have 150 highlights on this thing. It's unbelievable. It's bright yellow. It's fantastic for, for usage. So you can highlight things and still see the writing underneath the page. It's 415 bucks. What do you think? <laughs> right? And you'd say, are you out of your mind? So all of a sudden, I'm discouraged. I'm at the airport. You're at the airport. You're about to go to some business meeting. I'm going home. You know, and all of a sudden, while you're at the airport, you're there meeting a client. And the client turns around and says to you, Dave, this is a great deal. Let's get this thing done. And you pull out your nice pen and say, here it is. He goes, no, 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 no. I only sign really important deals with a yellow highlighter. Now you're like, ooh, now I need to have a yellow highlighter. Looking around and you see me over there, right? Licking my wounds. You come walking over and say, hey, Glenn, you got any more of those pens? I said, no, I, I got rid of all of them. I have one left. I mean, it, it may have enough ink in it just to do one line. That's all I got, buddy. It's, you know, well, how much is it? It's 415. Boom. You'd give it to me in six seconds. You'd take that pen, you'd open it up, and you'd go out there as fast as you can to get the deal. So technically, the pen was useless until you emotionally needed it to get something done. And then the pen has value. So what we need to do is stop assuming that people want to buy the pen and figure out what they want to do with it, why they want to do it. Is any emotional ties to it? There's emotional ties to it. Then we have the ability to uncover pain. And once they say they want it, they're committed to fixing it. And part of the process is uncovering the impact. So it has some connectivities to it. But then you got to go to budget. So budget really is more of a conversation about three things. Do they have the ability to fund it? Do they have the willingness to fund it? And if they do the willingness, is there any impact in funding? Are they taking money away from somebody else? Is it taking away from R&D? Are they taking money out of their own pocket? So what's the impact? Because what you don't want is buyer's remorse, which is I buy something, and then after I'm gone, I'm going, hmm, that was a kind of a lot of money. That was probably a bad idea. So you have to make sure the impact when they make that decision is also uncovered so there is no afterburn, right? It's called buyer's remorse. So in the budget, it's really three steps. Do you have the ability to? What are you willing to? And then the last piece is, is um, from that standpoint, what's the impact? So that's the fourth step of the system is the budget. So you have to figure out, you know, again, is it an individual that cuts the check? Is it multiple people that have to cut the check? Is it a PO? Is that to be in three pieces, one piece? So that's a really important part of it. Now, in Sandler, Dave, we work on and develop people in three areas, attitude, behavior, and technique. So learning the technique to how to uncover money and budget is actually pretty easy. Part of the issue is most people walking planet Earth 
are trained from a very early age that talking about money is rude. Mm. And especially if you have to negotiate when you're the business owner, because now what's happening is people are saying, hey, we got to sharpen the pencil and you're taking everything personal because you're the one doing all the work. You got to separate yourself, right? But when you look at budget, part of the process is you, there's technically things you can ask. You know, what kind of budget do you have set aside for this? Do you have you had a budget set aside for this? I mean, in the past, what kind of budget have you put towards this type of program or this type of problem? So there's some simple ways to ask in multiple different ways, but the technique is one. The other piece is for those people listening in is the attitude. Do you feel comfortable talking about money? Do you feel comfortable negotiating? How come some of us, our average deal, right? Let's suppose it's, well, the numbers aren't relevant. Let's suppose it's $2,000 is your average deal. But part of the problem is in your mind, your value of what you think you're worth is only three grand. So you're putting limitations on yourself. See, when you sell to what you think your value is, is one thing. But if you sell to pain, that increases your value because if a person over here has a problem and it's costing them, say, $80,000 a year, the problem is, and you're going to solve it for 50 bucks, I have no respect to your solution, right? So the amount of money that you ask for, historically, if you own your own business, is based on the limitations in your head, mm -hmm. not your skill set as a, as a salesperson. So yeah, you have to learn the skills of what to ask, but you also have to fix the stuff in your head that makes you uncomfortable asking for it and talking about it. That's a nice one because I remember back in the digital agency, we were pitching to a quite a large corporate and I was only very familiar with uh, pitching through to, you know, sort of small, medium sized business. And I remember going in and there were a few people, you know, everybody sort of putting their, their tenders forward. There was, I think maybe about three or five people that put it forward and we didn't end up getting selected. And I asked the person afterwards because I had a good relationship with them. They were the one that first suggested that we, we put a tender in and they, I said, so why didn't you end up going with our proposal and, and everything? And they basically said, oh, you were too cheap. So we just assumed that you, you were weren't good. quite delivering or maybe you were missing out on something compared to the others. And having mm -hmm. known what the others are offering, it wasn't so much that. It was just their expectation and my not being comfortable to, to understand what to be pitching at. So that, yeah, that idea really resonates with me. Yeah. So again, a lot of it's here where like, I love when my clients say we're the most expensive in the market. I say, great. I love that. Right. So there's, there's really easy ways on how you can get around being the most expensive, right? That's, that's pretty effective. Like people will ask us, my gosh, that's an awful lot of money. I can get it someplace else for less. Where instant response should be is what's fantastic. So when you bought it, they must've been excited and everyone goes, well, we didn't do it. So I don't understand how it come. Well, that we didn't think they were very good, right? So they're using a negotiating game with someone, with me, that at the end of the day, if you really pay attention, there's really nothing there, right? So it's that conversation that you got to have in your head to make sure you're comfortable talking about money. And you're right. If it's too cheap, you devalue what you can do for people, right? It's, it's like my four-year-old way back when we first moved. I walked over to see my brand new neighbor and uh, he had a gorgeous new car. My daughter comes over, whatever, she's five or six, and she says, wow, it's a really nice car. And at the time, it was a little different. It was convertible and it was BMW, and she's talking to a new neighbor about it. And at six, she turns and says, that's kind of an expensive car. How much? And my neighbor went red, just turned instantly uncomfortable because a six-year-old said, how much was your car? So, of course, when I started walking back to the house, I said to my daughter, you know, you can't really talk about money like that. Some people find it rude, right? So even a grown man having a young child ask about money, he felt uncomfortable. So when you're out there and you have to sell your own wares, you must be very comfortable talking about money. It's one of the biggest mental roadblocks that people have in selling. So that's the fourth step. And it's really key step too. One last question for that particular step, and it's probably just a line or two. Sometimes once someone gets started talking about something, it, it's easy enough. So do you have any yep. tips on the transition going sure. from that, that previous step and then at least getting into the conversation? Absolutely. So in our seven steps, we look at it visually as a submarine. That means when you're done with the compartment number one, you close the door and you go to compartment number two. You don't jump from one to five to three back. Right? You're not jumping around. It's sequential. So when we're done with the pain step, the last step of the pain step is we summarize all the problems, all the reasons, and all the impacts. 
And I say, David, with or without me, are you committed to solving this stuff? And, you know, and you have to say yes. And I say, all right, is it time for us to talk about, or is, is it now a good time for us to talk about how much time, energy, and effort it's going to take to solve those problems? And you say, yes. I say, good. So in the past, when you've had a half a million dollar problem, what has you and the company invested to solve that type of problem in the past? So now I'm trying to go right into some budget questions, right? I could turn around and say, is it make sense for us to talk about how much time, energy, and investment it's going to take to solve this? You say yes. I say, okay. Hey, in the past, when you've had this kind of scenario, how much you've invested is a good question. Or you can turn and say, well, in round numbers, what kind of budget do you have to deal with this type of problem? Now, if they say, I am not going to share it with you, then you go to what's called bracketing. No problem. A lot of times when we talk with clients that we have solutions back in the office that could range anywhere from 2000 to 4000 Other solutions range between the 7 and the 8. When I go back to the office, I'd be spending more of my time than the 2 and the 4 or the 7 and the 8. Right? Now, all of a sudden, they say, say the 7 and 8. Say, got it. More closer to the 7 than the 8. Now, most of you listening going, wait a minute, why did you pick the lower part? Because I don't want to sound like a salesperson. Your strength is being a wolf in sheep's clothing. The second you're selling shows, you're, it's game's over. So they say between seven and eight, say, great, more towards seven than eight. And a lot of times, again, and even in your world, you'd be surprised when most people say, no, 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 I'm on the top side. Because people that run businesses know you get what you pay for. More yeah, times than yeah. not. Yeah, right? that, so this is definitely easy tactics and words to use, but that's a transition. Yeah, that makes sense. Because it and makes sense transition for us to talk out of that. So now we're kind of getting an agreement on, on budget. And um, I'm assuming there's, are there other things in this step or it might be the next component around timing and things like that? Yeah. So again, the budget is everything with money. Yes. So who has to sign off on it? Where is it coming from? What's the time frame? What's the terms in certain respects? I mean, some of that comes in the contract area, but we have to flush out any money issues right now. Mm -hmm. And then once we have that flushed out, then we go to the next step, which is their decision-making process. Yeah. And uh, how does that look? So it depends on the, the, the customers you're talking to and the amount of people that you have, but more times than not, then it's, it's really about four or five things. It's who besides yourself is involved in this in the decision-making process. And again, I'm using very black and white words, but you know, who besides yourself is involved. The other piece is what type of process do you and your company go through to make this kind of decision? When do you want to pull the trigger or when do you want to have the solution in play? And then the other piece you can ask is the how, which is from where you sit, how will you know which one's the best one for you? So there's about four or five keys that you have to uncover. And depending on how big you are or how big the companies you're selling to, importantly, excuse me, is how much of that, that decision step you need to do. So when I'm in corporate America, it's called cast of characters. So I'll turn around and say, David, in every company I've ever been into, they typically have a three to four step process on how they're going to evaluate and make a decision on who the best outside vendor would be to help you solve this problem. So in your company, what are your three or four steps? And you would tell me step one is we invite people in, then we have a little bake off, then we review proposals, we pick two, you come in and have a presentation, then we pick it, whatever it may be. Got it. So Dave, in step one, who besides you are in that step? And you would sit there and say, just me. Got it. Okay. And whoever passes that step, now you have the next is going to proposal. Who reviews the proposal, including you? Who else does it? So now what you're doing is I have actions on my top. It's a timeline. So I have time, actions on top, people on the bottom. And now I have a very clear understanding that we're not going to make a decision between now and then with too much stuff to do, right? Or, hey, how come you're making a decision in seven months? It's only take you three weeks to figure this thing out, right? So it gives us clarity. The other thing you have to remember on the people listening in, if David and I are talking, and David says there are three other people part of the process. You know, it's Nancy, Susan, and Bill. Well, even though I'm talking to you, I still got to go talk to Nancy. I still got to go talk to Sue. And I still got to talk to Bill. Now, that's where a lot of people make a mistake. Because just as much as you have issues that you're trying to solve, remember, technical, which is the business, then it's the department, and then it's how it affects them. If you have multiple people in the decision making, sometimes you have multiple people trying to fix multiple different pains. And then when that happens, it's whoever has the most power and influence in that decision wheel will always win. Mm -hmm. And the other thing that some of you forget is if you don't ask, hey, who else is involved in this or who else is affected by this decision? It's a great question to ask in the pain step. Because, Dave, if you and I are talking and you say, well, Nancy's affected too, more times than not, Nancy's probably looking for a solution too. 
right? So if anyone listening in, if you've gone to a proposal and out of the blue, a competitor is there, you did no idea they were there, where they come from, and they're actually tracking pretty good with you, right? There weren't like a bluebird that flew in. That's your fault because that means someone on the prospect's team was looking for a different solution while you were creating rapport and creating a solution for the person you're talking to. So you should have known that. You should have known that you had your competition in there. And you can figure that out pretty easy by asking the right kind of questions. That's part of the decision step. Yeah, yeah. So once we kind of get clear then who's involved in that decision-making process, and I'm assuming at each one of these, there might be the micro adjustments in the way that you're pitching and framing things, depending on, you know, is this a decision that they're going to have to make now or, or how do you excel? What Once you're clear now, you're kind of getting very clear, I think, on budget, you're starting to get an idea of timing, who's required, what's that process, what happens next? Mm-hmm. Good, good. So now we have what we consider a qualified prospect. Right? And so we've done the bonding rapport, we have good set up front contracts, we've uncovered their pain, they want to solve it, they have enough budget to solve it with your solution, they're willing to invest it, if they buy into the product, you know who has to be part of the decision-making process, you've talked to everybody, now it's time to do your shit, right? So the last step of the decision process, we call it the ultimate contract question. And this is where I'm actually going to do a proposal in front of you before I do any of the work. Now, what I don't understand is an awful lot of people who are listening in now will go have a sales call to gather the data, go back to their office to spend an hour, two hours creating a proposal, writing it, making sure it looks awesome. Then they turn around, drive back to the prospect. They spend an hour going over what the results are. Let me show you my presentation. And then I try to close it. That's four and a half hours or three hours, whatever the number is, that you've invested into this proposal. And we have zero idea if we're going to win or not. So one of the questions we like to ask in the ultimate contract question is, it's called bringing the future into the present. I want to bring that conversation. It's going to happen in three or four days. After all my time and energy, I want to bring it into our conversation right now. So it's called the bringing the future into the present. So it sounds something like this. Hey, Dave, it's been a great first meeting, second meeting, whatever it is. We've had a ton of information. You've been very open and honest about what you're trying to accomplish, review pain. We also have clarity that we're looking at a budget between X and Y. You have to sign off on it. Nancy has to sign off on it. You and Nancy are part of the decision-making process. They're only two people. We've had a conversation with Nancy, had the conversation with you. Now, what we're going to do is go back to the office, take all this information that you've given to us, put it into our process, and come back to what we would consider the solution. Now, I want to make sure we're both on the same page. When I come back and review it with you, again, I'm giving our best shot. If it doesn't fit, if, it doesn't, if you don't have conviction, for whatever reason, I didn't hit the marker, are you going to be comfortable saying, Glenn, I appreciate it, but this ain't it? Can you tell me that, Dave? And they're going to turn around and say, yeah. Mm. So my first question always is, and you always do the no first. If I bring it back, it doesn't fit. You're not comfortable with it. For whatever reason, the dollars are out of whack. Are you okay telling me no? And the second you say yes, I say, I appreciate that. You sure? Yup. And then I say quietly, and what do you want to do if it fits? And shut up. Literally, shut up. And you're going to find out right now what you're going to hear in four or five days after you've done your presentation. And whatever you hear, if it's things like I'm going to have to talk to or depends on this or we'll see what happens about that, now's the time to deal with it. Now's the time to figure out all those, those loose ends. So the ultimate contract question, it eliminates assumptions. It eliminates hope. And what it does is it gives you clarity on what you have to do to win and it's okay to lose. So you're bringing the future into the present, getting them comfortable to be honest with you, but you're also finding out by saying at the end, you always do no first because it gives them the ability to you know, kind of crush you a little bit. And then you turn and say, what do you want to do if it fits? And the only logical answer should be is, well, aren't we buying it? And if that's the case, now you have a qualified prospect. Now it's time to go do your proposal. That brings us to step number six, which is the presentation. Yeah. And I think I, I, there's multiple points in this process. And, and I mean, you even led with one run up, right up front, which is nice, which is this idea that, it is okay to say no, which then makes it feel like we're looking for a natural fit. I'm not a salesperson who's going to try and push and sell something that's not the right fit. And then again, this kind of reinforces that, but also gives you the opportunity. Now it almost gives like a, 
a commitment or a, you know, a confirmation now, you know, if we are the right fit, then you need to make mm-hmm. the decision. So that's, yeah, then, then we kind of move into that proposal stage. How does that look? Is that, again, it, it'll probably vary. Do you ever go for the close at that point in that meeting or, or it will depend? I do all the time. Yeah. 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 So a lot of times I don't go to proposal because I don't have to because we close the business, right? Now, if we do have to go to a proposal or to a presentation, no problem. Then the sixth step of the system is, is the, re, the fulfillment. Fulfillment is how are you going to solve their pain within their budget in front of the decision makers? Those are the keys. So the, the, the fulfillment has four steps. So the first one is you always review what you did. You review the pain, the money, the decision before you start your proposal. Because you want to make sure two things. Mm-hmm. Nothing's changed since the last time you were there. And the second thing you want to make sure is they're still emotionally involved, right? Because you don't want to come back and do the presentation and have them still intellectual. You gotta get them back into that emotional involvement. So we review what those emotional involvements were, we get them back emotionally involved, we talk about budget, we talk about decision making, make sure nothing's changed. Then we actually do the fulfillment. So the review is first, and then we show them how we're gonna solve the problem. The step is called uh, the close, and then the last step is called post-sell, which is you wanna make sure that what someone buys sticks. So we wanna eliminate buyer's remorse, that's step seven. But your step six, the fulfillment, the presentation part, that actually is the best part. That's where the fun happens. That's where you have nothing left to do besides show them what you got inside your budget in front of the decision makers. And you should know after a presentation, you are walking out the door with a client or not. And it's very black and white. And a lot of us will leave and say, okay, we'll call you back next week. Why are you leaving with that? I mean, how is that in your best interest? Selling should be mutually beneficial. Should be good for you, should be good for me. If it's only good for you, that's not fair to me. If it's only good for me, it's not fair to you, right? It's unethical. So it has to be mutually beneficial. And that's where we find that if you really improve your communication skills and have the ability to learn how to sell the way people buy, it really becomes fun. It becomes less pressure, less anxiety. And then there's a bunch of little, very strong techniques that we show people that even speeds the process up even faster. Mm-hmm. That presentation bit, just wanted to make sure because there's the proposal and the presentation component. Is that potentially one and the same depending on? Yes. Yeah, yeah, depending so on. The fulfillment, that. in essence, it's called fulfillment. Yeah. It's you're fulfilling their pain within their budget and decision making. So it could yes. be written, it could be, you know, presentation style. Yeah. And then we move to that close component and that's, mm-hmm. yeah, interested to know how that works. Cause that, again, that's an area that people struggle with cause it's, it's really getting the person to effectively sign on the dotted line or say, yes, this is happening. Mm-hmm. Get maybe some ideas on transition and just some points around closing. Sure. So when you're doing the close, we'd like you to do two thirds of the issues that they want solved so you put all the issues up on the board before you get started. So Dave, you want to take care of one, two, and three today. Let's talk about what those look like. And I drew the review. And I turn to you and I say, Dave, which one do you want to talk about first? You'll say A. It's okay. This is how we're going to fix A. Flip and flop and flip and flip and flop, flop. Right? So I'm all done with how I'm going to fix A. I turn to you and say, David, are you comfortable that that would solve the problem? And you say yes. Okay. I actually go up to the board. And I write yes right next to the agenda. And I come back and say, which of the next two would you want to go into next? You pick the next one, flip and flop and flip and flip and flop. David, are you comfortable that will solve your problem? And when you say yes, I go up in the board. Now, if you say no, no harm, no foul, I put the word no next to it. Right? It means I got to go back and fix it. Now, when you've done two thirds of your agenda items, two thirds, you turn to the individual and you say, Look, we've done the majority, we have a couple left, but before we answer the next couple, do you mind if I ask you a quick question? Sure. And what I wanna do is test your temperature. Test where you are before I got nothing left, right? So two thirds of the way through, I turn and just say, David, just to get us a sense of where we are, say, say um, a scale of zero to 10. Zero is you've been trying to figure out in the last 20 minutes how to get out of here. And 10 is your oven roaster popped and you're ready to rock and roll and you want to get going. Where are you? Now, where are you when I've done two thirds of all their problems? They have to be a seven or above. If they don't tell you the seven or above, you're never going to win them over 
and your last two or three things you have to talk about because they're the lowest two or three things. Remember, they have five or six things. Say it's five. You've done three of them. And when you ask which one you want to talk about first, they always pick the top three. So you have the bottom ones left. So if I've done two-thirds of them, I'll say, Dave, this is where we've been. This is where we have left before we get going. The scale is at a 10, 10 being, zero being. Hey, where do you think you are, Dave? And you say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm about an eight. I would say, that's what I thought. I kind of figured that's where you would be. Hey, which one do you want to talk about next? And then after I do that one, I turn around and say, no, where are you now? And you'll smile and you go, oh, I got the game, right? And it becomes easy. Now, if I turn and say, David, where are you? And you say a four, a five, even a six, that means I've given you the solutions to your three biggest problems. And I got the two small ones left. There's no way I'm going to double down and get from a six to a 10, mm. right? So if I've gone through mine and you turn around and tell me, hey, you're a six, I'm going to probably turn around and say to you, hey, Dave, I appreciate that. I know we have two left, but straight, straight, there's no way we're going to get to a 10 with these two, are we? And you may go, mm, no. It's okay. So do we need to keep going? Can I ask you a question? Then I'm going to go back to the beginning of the sales process before I leave. Some people in the world of sales, they keep doing the presentation even when the ship is going down. They just keep talking faster and more, right? So if I can't win, why am I going to keep going on? Now, I've had situations where I've been in a boardroom. There's 14 people around the room. I got two-thirds done. I go, where are you, right? Eight, eight, and eight. I don't hit the CEO yet. He's last. I come back over here, nine, nine, and, and it's his turn. And he says out loud, I'm a six, maybe a seven. Oh, awful. I got nothing, right? I got two more, but they're not big ones. So I turned to him and I said to him, you know, Zach, you got to help me out. And he goes, what's that? I said, there's no way we're getting to a 10. It's the two bottom ones left. We're not getting there. And he turns around. Of course, I'm sweating. I got, you know, I'm nervous. I, I gave him every dog, every pony that we have. And he's a six and everyone else is bought in. Everyone's like, this is great. Let's do it. So... I said, you're never going to get there, are you? And he said, and I didn't hear it right away. He goes, I'm never a 10. If it works, I'm a seven. And I go, oh, so where are you? He goes, I'm good. And it was just a little flip. But yeah. that little technique helps a lot. Now, the last piece I want to share with you is when people make a sale, so many of us are so dang excited that we want to get out of Dodge, right? Get the money and go. But you got to remember, people buy emotionally and they justify it intellectually. So if they can't justify it after you leave, it's called buyer's remorse and they back out. So one of the easiest things to do is when you're done, and this is going to, a lot of people are going to raise their eyebrows on this one, but when you're done and you have contract, whatever it may look like, maybe you have money to it, but you literally turn around and say, hey, David, I really want to make sure you're comfortable with this. And I give you back the contract. Say, are you sure? Now, I know a lot of you are going, what? Now, when I give, get, come on, man, have some confidence that you won, for goodness sakes. Give it back to the prospect and say, you're sure about this. When they give it back to you and say, absolutely, your next word should be is, how come? I know it's two words, but how come? They will now justify to you why they made the buying decision. But the reason I ask the question is not for me to hear it. It's for them to hear it. Because now what they're doing without realizing is their brain is telling their brain, hey, we're cool and this, this is a good idea. So I'm having them verbally, externally justify to themselves why it was a good buying decision. So by my, me doing that, the adult says, dude, this was a good move. Mm -hmm. So that's very important to eliminate buyer's remorse. Yeah, I like it. The, I mean, the whole process kind of is logical and I, I, I'm imagining that analogy of the submarine as you're kind of moving through addressing each situation yeah. before moving on to the next. In the tail end, because I, I know people are going to want to find out more about this uh, and some of your other selling systems and we kind of really went top line and, and there's a lot more material underneath each section in the submarine. So I'd, I'd love to kind of point people in the right direction. If they want to find out more about your work, where's, where's the best place for them to go? Well, there's, there's two things. You can look up um, Sandler anywhere, right? We have uh, 280 offices around the world. Uh, we are franchise-based. It happens to be, knock on wood, I'm in the top 1%. So if they want to look up Sandler, it's just S-A-N-D-L-E-R.com. Or you can look up me, and it's my last name, 
Um, so it's matson.sandler.com and you'll bring you right to our webpage. And you'll have all my white papers on there if you want to. I'm a shrink by background, so when we work with people today, we just talked about the technique, but we have huge processes for behavior, goal setting, follow through, accountability, and then we have a lot of stuff on head, which is everything inside your skin, but desire, commitment, procrastination, making excuses, having bravery, right? And that's where the concept of money comes. So when we work, it's all three, but you're right, it's a very good fit in terms of they want to go to the website, they can find out about Sandler, they can go to my website if they want to find out about us. Perfect. So I'll just make sure to link up through to the different sites that Glenn just mentioned there. Um, also wanted to mention to, to make sure that you head over to YouTube and search Glenn's name as well. I've, I did some searches prior to chatting with Glenn. There's loads of great content on there, some other presentations. He goes through systems and processes and goes deep into this. So just wanted to finish up, Glenn, by saying a big thank you for being so generous and, and taking us through this process because I know it's not something normally that's shared outside of Sandler sales mm. and you had to get some particular approval. So a big thank you on that. Absolutely. And I hope everyone, you know, from your standpoint, realize that you got to have a plan. You got to have a plan that's just as strong, if not stronger than their buying system. They have a buying system. Make sure that when you're out there selling, you're selling the way people buy. Don't sell the way they make decisions, right? Which is a justification piece, which is very traditional features and benefits. And when you're there, don't be afraid to ask the right questions to figure out if it's mutually beneficial for both of you. You remember, you have rights too. It's not a one-legged or one-sided conversation. Don't forget. Yeah, perfect. Thanks again, Glenn, and we'll talk soon. Enjoy. Thanks, David. You've just been listening to the System Hub Podcast. Remember, we've documented this system for you so you can literally swipe and deploy it within your business. Head to www.systemhub.com forward slash podcast to download it now.